Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 11, We'll Always Have Paris, dealing with memories of better times. The title from this episode comes from Casablanca. It's a classic Humphrey Bogart film, and it ends with him sending his old lover away to save her and her husband. They just met again, and they obviously have feelings for each other, and he's sending her away. As she's getting ready to leave, she doesn't want to leave Humphrey Bogart. But he recalls to her mind happier memories that they'll always share. And he does this by saying, we'll always have Paris. So this week, we will be discussing what to do with the memories all alone in the moonlight. I can smile at the old days. I was beautiful then. Yes, a beautiful song from a crappy musical. Don't hate me. It is. <laughs> We're going to be discussing memories. We're going to be talking about objects that you have of better times. What do you do with those mementos and those physical reminders of your felled relationship, as well as those mental mementos that may have been corrupted over time? What I want to accomplish this episode is to offer several different solutions for what to do with memories of your divorce and to emphasize that there is no one-size-fits-all that will apply to everyone. There are things you can do that are detrimental, other things that could feel very empowering. For one person, a bonfire can be very empowering and liberating. For someone else, it might just trigger memories that you'd rather forget. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading or another book that I've read. On today's episode, we're going back to Suzanne Finnamore's book, Split, A Memoir of Divorce. We're delving into this book again because it provides a good description of what Suzanne went through as she sorted through her mental memories of her relationship with her husband, of inconsequential memories that were suddenly imbued with meaning and subtext, and also what she did with some of the physical memories of her marriage. Quote, It wasn't that long ago that Anne was stroking and kissing the insides of my thighs, whispering about what he considered my two magnificent legs. He wondered aloud how he could ever let a woman with legs this good go. You'd be a fool, I'd offered. A narcissistic, moral degenerate, Silence except for the kissing sounds. Several months too late, I realized this was not a hypothetical question. This was very bad, but his kisses were very good. He was expert at layering smooth caresses with memorably eloquent compliments. He had an abundance of presence and outstanding technique. Are you sure you want to remember this, Lisa says, listening to me reminisce on the phone this morning as I clean out N's coat closet. I throw his coats onto the ground, the dead coats. I will donate them to the Cerebral Palsy Society. End quote. 
So here she is dealing with two types of memories, the mental memories and the physical memories. The mental memories have changed since they were first uttered. When he was kissing her thighs and asked how he could ever let a woman with legs this good go, she saw it as a sweet moment of intimacy between them. However, time and circumstance changes that memory. It imbues it with a sense of foreboding that it didn't have before. What Suzanne finds out in the future impacts how she views that once sweet memory. The physical memories are her soon-to-be ex's coats, those actual physical objects that she is cleaning from the closet. She doesn't plan to throw them out completely. She plans to donate them, which is a positive act in the middle of chaos. She goes even further when she enters the fact-finding stage. Quote, I am replete with stamina in finding out every single fact I can about this whole affair. Yet I think, do I want to pull that thread? Do I want to unleash the truth, unravel deceit, and kill reality as I've known it? If I discover too much that is false about what I thought my past was, time will be skewed even further. End quote. And then finally, after a night where she, she's fighting her desire to take sleeping pills, to drink wine, to smoke pot, anything to get some sleep, and to stop that madness in her head, she gets up. Quote, I know what I have to do, what I've been putting off and not facing, the past made manifest, the wedding photos and love letters, and the truths and the half-truths and the epistolary and photographic evidence of our love and illusory history and greasy secrets packed in boxes in the storeroom. It wasn't enough to just remove them from the house, as I did the week after he left. No, they are still well within the property line and the lies. They must be dealt with. I am sleeping on top of them every night, and I can hear them breathing beneath the thin floorboards, end quote. In this section, she brings to mind Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Telltale Heart, of the murderer who commits the perfect crime, the perfect murder, but his own mind concocts this beating of the victim's heart under the floorboards that becomes louder and more incessant. incessant. It's where he buried his victim, and he can just imagine that these people who have come to talk to him can hear it, can hear it getting louder and more insistent. So what does Suzanne do in the middle of the night? She has a bonfire, of course. She starts in her fireplace and then moves outside to the Weber kettle, lights it up, and just starts burning. The marriage certificate, the love letters, small flower notes, quote, all untrue, all trash, all burned to ash, end quote. She moves on to her wedding bouquet, the extra invitations, a photo of the woman her husband had left her for that she found during the cleanup. She keeps one final box, her son's birth announcement, the wedding album, and her wedding band. And she only keeps these as memories that her son can look back upon if he has questions or is curious about the past. And then, in one final act, she sits until the ashes are cool, and then she scatters them in her thick stand of trees the next morning. In Suzanne's story, we have examples of both physical memories and those mental memories that plague us during divorce. 
and I've had to deal with the same physical and mental memories as Suzanne. Only now, we live in a world where those memories are brought up each year by an artificial intelligence named Facebook that pulls up a photo of me and my ex hand in hand and says, Hey, on this day, four, five, ten years ago, fifteen flippin' years ago. Like Suzanne, my first instinct was to burn. And so for two nights, <laughs> this was over a year before my divorce, I held private little bonfires in my side yard. I'm actually surprised the cops weren't called because a few years earlier I had burned a leaf pile in my backyard and had the fire department called on me. I guess maybe this time my neighbors could feel the tension in the air and decided it was best to close their eyes tight and not disturb the ritual sacrifices going on next door. Well, during these private little sessions, I was able to burn in peace. And what did I burn? I didn't burn photos. I didn't burn love letters between us. I didn't burn wedding invitations or marriage photos. I burned some mementos she had brought back for me from her study abroad in Italy. I burned some clothing that had special meaning for us. I held these bonfires while she was gone. She had left. She had slipped out the door without me knowing on the first occasion and then had decided to stay the night somewhere else on the second occasion. I was really burning memories. I was taking those physical objects that represented pain and I was burning them. And I left this pile of molten plastic and ashes on the cement out back. I didn't care if she saw it. I wanted her to see it. I wanted her to know how painful this had felt for me. But at the same time, I had these other parts of me. One was the hopeful part, and that's probably why the love letters and the photos survived these bonfires. I remember picking them up. I remember going through a box of memories from our entire relationship and holding back on burning those. It contained tickets to the first movie we saw together on our first blind date, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. It contained the concert stubs to Green Day, the first major concert I ever attended. I do not count the Cher concert, of course. I just couldn't burn these things, and I just looked through them, and I just started crying. These were positive memories. They are positive memories. And just because things ended doesn't mean every memory of my then-wife should be expunged from my life and my mind. They were important in my life, in my own development. The other part of me that saved some of those objects was the logical, practical part that said, if I burn this photo, it will be gone forever. There are no duplicates, no digital copies of some of these photos, and I didn't want it to be gone. I'm sentimental that way, I guess, or maybe I'm a hoarder. But part of the reason also had to do with hope. Hope is a funny thing in divorce, isn't it? I, I'll probably try to dedicate an entire episode to hope because for a large part of our lives, we're taught that hope is so positive. It's such a good thing. But at the same time, it can have negative aspects to it if we're holding on to hope that shouldn't be there. 
Those were my first instances of Bernie memories. But to be honest, it wasn't cathartic like Suzanne's experience. I was filled with anger and sorrow and confusion and pain and grief and all those negative sub-emotions in between. On the second night, in addition to another bonfire, I threw some stuff out onto the driveway. Once again, nothing important. An empty wine bottle, her white sandals that she wore on our wedding day. I can't really remember what else. It's kind of a blur. When she got home the next morning, she silently cleaned up the driveway and deposited everything into the garbage can. I later went outside and I dug the sandals out of the garbage, telling her I didn't want to get rid of them, that it was just angry me wanting to do something to occupy my time, to get back at her. I, I couldn't have told her why. This all happened a year and a half before we actually got divorced, about. There was a year of therapy after this, a year of what I thought was healing, a year of ups and downs, but actually mostly ups. It was a year where I relied heavily on God for comfort and guidance. But in the end, I ended up back where I had been before. Not exactly where I had been because there were no more bonfires, no more destruction of personal property, just me feeling like an empty husk filled with negative memories and my house filled with reminders of my ex. So what did I do with those memories? Well, that's what we're going to discuss. First of all, let's divide this discussion into two types of memories that we'll be talking about today. We have the physical memories and the mental memories, like we've already mentioned. In some cases, both physical and mental memories of the same event. So we've already discussed some of the physical reminders, the clothing, the photos, the mementos and love letters, the treasured items that were worth more to me in my marriage than money. Most of those items survived the bonfire. But then, after my ex moved to a new place, I had a house full of shared memories. Wedding pictures, a wedding bouquet that had sat on a bookshelf in every house we had lived in. We had sayings on the walls. There was a craft room covered in posters with a desk covered in knickknacks. And here's the funny thing. Anything that had meaning, I got rid of much more quickly. I didn't keep the love letters. I probably have some in storage that I haven't gone through in years, but I don't want to keep them anymore. Now, burning and holding a bonfire is a cliched approach to what to do with some of those physical memories, but it can also get you in trouble if your divorce isn't final and you burn items that could come back to bite you. You know, burning your ex's belongings that have meaning to her or to him. But once you're separated, once he or she has taken everything with them, then you should start cleaning your house of those reminders of your ex. The difficulty lies in when your house is filled with memories from the last 16 years. It's hard not to have items that hold memories of your ex, and so practicality comes into play. When my ex left, there were boxes she left in storage as well as various other items that she didn't take with her. I didn't do anything with the boxes in storage, but we had large framed wedding photos that I certainly didn't want to see, 
and I absolutely did not want to keep them myself. I just didn't have a use for them. But it would be a disservice to destroy all photos of that. Not for me, but for my children. So now my daughter and my son have some wedding photos in the rooms. It helps my daughter with her sleep anxiety, and it just provides a reminder to my son that he has two parents that love him, even if they aren't together anymore. What I don't know what to do with is my wedding video. I don't want to ever watch it again. But my kids may want to watch it someday. It has videos of their parents cutting cake. It has video of their parents outside the temple where they were married. Where, where I was married. I'm talking in the third person all of a sudden. I figure I'll probably just box that up with some of the other reminders and see if my kids or grandkids want it when they get older. It is, of course, a VHS, so who knows if they'll even be able to watch it at that point. As for the other items, I mentioned in a previous episode that my ex had these cheesy sayings on the walls like, Live, laugh, love. Those held no meaning for me related to my ex, so I wasn't in a hurry to take them down. I eventually removed them and threw them in the garbage. They just didn't represent who I was. In the garage, my ex had colored in big chalk letters, I heart Luke. For some reason, I don't know why, I left it up as a reminder of, I don't know, better times maybe. One afternoon, my parents came over and we were helping, uh, they were helping me clean out the garage. And my dad asked if I wanted him to wash that off. At first, I said I didn't care. But I realized that part of me did care, and it was better to get rid of it. So after a few minutes, I asked my dad to wash it off for me. So with his one good leg and his other prosthetic, he washed that memory off the garage wall for me. Now, instead of family photos with all of us, I have family photos that include me and my kids, photos of her grandparents on both sides. None of the photos in the main areas of the house include my ex. All of those are in the kids' room because I still want them to have that, that good experience, that memory of my ex when they're not with her. But what about those items that can be considered pricey? Wedding rings, wedding dresses, and tuxedos. That frozen slice of wedding cake in the freezer that's, uh, you know, 15 years old. <laughs> well, maybe the last one is an easy answer, but the others are certainly not. For the wedding rings, some people pawn them, which is a big loss usually. Other people sell them on online sites specifically made for wedding rings from divorced couples. Other people keep them for the kids. Um, other people turn them into something that has different meaning for them, like a freedom ring or whatever it is. For me, my initial wedding band, which was sterling silver, slipped off while snorkeling in Mexico on my honeymoon. My second wedding ring was another sterling silver $10 ring from Walmart, and I had that for a good five years before my dad found a wedding band in the middle of the street. He was just driving down the road, looked down, and there it was, a nice wedding band. So he got out, picked it up, and my then wife had it sized for me. As it wasn't my original band, it didn't hold that same meaning. I've kept it, I'll pass it on to my children. 
when they get married or just keep it in the little glass bowl in my closet. Wedding dresses are another item I see a lot of questions about. Some people shred them, some people burn them, some people sell them. And you have the right to do whatever you want with them. But in this instance, I would suggest something positive. One, you can donate them to Goodwill, where they can benefit a new couple who still believes in the power of love. Or, if nothing else, it serves as an excellent bride of Frankenstein Halloween costume, because, let's face it, that thing is covered in blood and tears and lost hope. Hopefully only symbolic. Um, another option, number two, there are online organizations where you can donate your dresses. They either sell them and use the profits for their cause, whether it's helping victims of sex trafficking or for funding breast cancer research, or they donate them to military brides who are financially burdened. Both of these are great options. It's actually taking something and giving it new meaning, giving it new life, rather than just burning it or doing something like that. The third option, and this is actually my favorite option, but it's not always possible because of the massive numbers of donations this, that these organizations have received. Um, this one surpasses shredding, surpasses burning, surpasses wearing them underwater for amazing pictures. But you can donate your dresses to an organization that uses the fabric to make little white dresses for stillborn babies or preemie babies that pass away. You take this dress that symbolizes heartbreak and broken promises and you repurpose it to provide burial dresses for little children. This is a very empowering, positive donation that could help the life of a couple that is dealing with an extremely difficult loss in their life. Uh, we personally had fertility issues throughout our marriage, dealing with miscarriages that were devastating. So this donation has some personal importance to me. Here in Utah, one of the organizations I found is Heavenbound Burial Gowns which is a small group in Lehigh that uses the fabric from wedding gowns to sew into baby burial gowns for families who have lost a child through stillbirth. And then there's a larger nationwide organization called the Angel Gown Program with NICU Helping Hands. Let me read a little snippet from their website. Quote, NICU Helping Hands Angel Gown Program began in 2013 because we recognized that there was an overwhelming need for better support for families who lost a baby. Our Angel Gown program provides comfort for bereaved families through the gift of a beautiful custom-made gown for final photos and for burial services. We provide support resources and mentoring programs for bereaved families as well. There is no greater gift that can be given to a grieving family than affirming the importance of the life of their child by offering the simple gift of our angel gown garments and supporting them emotionally and educationally afterwards. Our program is made possible because of wonderful donors. By donating your wedding dress, or tuxedo for that matter, although I just rented one so I didn't need to get rid of it, you one, get rid of that memory of a failed marriage that has been taking up space in your closet and in your mind, and two, you provide multiple families a beautiful blessing at a time in their lives when anything helps. So let's move on to the other items. Now, anything that isn't just straight-up garbage, my suggestion is to either pack it away or donate it. Be honest with yourself as you go through this process. 
If something reminds you of your ex and keeps your mind on them, get rid of it or pack it up in storage to decide at a later time if you want to get rid of it. If it doesn't have that meaning related to your ex, don't worry about it. I have clothes that were gifts that I don't relate to my ex. I also found old toys that her grandfather made out of wood. Those I just packed up and gave to her one day uh, when she came to pick up the kids. I'll keep some of her boxes downstairs for now until I'm cleaning up and need the space, and then I'll ask her if she wants them or if she wants me to just donate them or throw them away. Now, what about those digital memories? This is something that is kind of between the mental memories and the physical memories. They aren't hard copy reminders of your marriage, but they do take up many gigabytes of storage in your memory drive. I have a terabyte drive that has thousands and thousands of digital photos. What do I do with all those pictures of my ex? Well, like the physical memories you pack up in storage, if these are out of sight, then they're out of mind, as long as you can avoid pulling them up and going through them. For that first year, I left that drive untouched. It just sat in a drawer until I finally took it out and started going through it. I started deleting photos that I had taken during those last couple years. Not everything, but those photos I had taken of my ex on our honeymoon, in our bedroom, cuddling on the couch. It was more like I was trying to hold on to her and capture those final moments, like a child taking photos of their loved one in the hospital. Most of those photos included both my ex and my kids, so I kept those. My kids will enjoy looking through those someday, and I know my ex has duplicate copies of the photos that are just her, and so I'm not concerned about throwing those away because I know that she'll have the copies that she needs. My kids will have fun with those, and everything is duplicated, so I don't worry about deleting something. For Facebook, it was a lot harder. Like I said before, I get reminders. You can actually turn them off in a Facebook setting, but it's an all-or-nothing approach rather than a piecemeal deletion of history. I can pass over most of these digital memories without a problem, but there are some that hurt because of the mental memory associated with them. There's one memory in particular that was one of the most amazing things I ever witnessed in my life. It was a once-in-a-lifetime, maybe twice-if-you're-lucky opportunity. And it's a great example of how a memory can change when you find out more about it. Like Suzanne Finnamore stated in her book, Do I want to unleash the truth, unravel deceit, and kill reality as I've known it? If I discover too much that is false about what I thought my past was, time will be skewed even further. This is what happened to me in this memory. My kids, my wife, my brothers and their families, my parents... We all traveled to a remote piece of property in south-central Idaho to be in the full path of occlusion for the last total solar eclipse that was visible in much of the United States. We drove through Craters of the Moon National Monument. We camped beside a river on a piece of property of a lady my mom had met through her work as an artist. My memory of the event before it was altered was of being with family, of having a great time of knowing that my ex had some struggles that she was going through, but believing that we were on the right path, that spending quality time as a family would help her out. So, as the solar eclipse came closer, we made our tinfoil hats, 
We put on our solar eclipse glasses. We felt the temperature drop and we felt such ecstatic joy and energy as the sun disappeared. It was a great experience that I'll never forget, but it's also a memory that has been tainted by my divorce. It was only a week or two after this event that I learned some information that had been hidden from me during that trip. And it kind of altered that memory. So every year, a memory pulls up on my timeline, and on timelines all over Facebook, for that matter, about this event, and I'm reminded of it. What I'm trying to do with this one is to take back this memory like other memories I have. Another memory comes from my anniversary a few months before my ex asked for a divorce. I surprised her with tickets to Paris, and it was a great experience for me and for my ex, one I had waited for much of my marriage to be able to offer her. For those of you who don't know, I served a mission in France, in the south, along the Mediterranean coast, and I'd never got the chance to see Paris, so I was really, really excited. I found out a couple months after the vacation some really crappy information. I'm not going to go into the details, but just like additional information was able to alter my memory of the eclipse, this information had an even greater opportunity to alter, to taint, to subvert the memory of my trip to Paris. But why let that negative memory taint what was a beautiful trip? I can choose to be better than that. I can remember walking along the Seine at night, enjoying the street art and the lights of Paris, watching the Eiffel Tower light up on New Year's Eve as I enjoyed a dinner cruise. I remember the medieval city of Mont Saint-Michel rising out of the coastal mist, the reverberations of song in the ancient cathedral as the monks held their daily service. I remember spending an entire day roaming the galleries of the Louvre, taking in ancient treasures and works of art that I had only dreamt of seeing. I saw the grandeur of Notre-Dame de Paris and the smaller, more intricate beauty of the Église Saint-Sulpice in the Latin Quarter. I loved my trip to Paris, and I don't want that memory altered. I don't want that reality skewed by a new memory. So, although that skewing has happened to a point, I can choose to accept those positive memories. Yes, the negative information is there. It won't change. I can't make it go away like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And I don't want my memories to change, even though I do want that at moments. That's the completely insane thing about this process. You feel crazy. You feel like you want one thing one moment and a completely opposite thing the next. I heard lies that had been told my entire marriage. And it altered my perception of things. How do you look at your experience and trust your own opinion, your own thoughts after that? How do you deal with those memories that come up? The good ones that change, the bad ones that are painful. What about memories of my wedding? There are gems in there worth saving, and others that I can just as well forget. One that will forever play a part in my life was when we were leaving the reception and we were starving. It was late at night, and we stopped at Wendy's. And not thinking about what people do on their wedding nights, I decided 
You know what sounds delicious right now? A nice bowl of Wendy's chili. <laughs> so I don't want to forget about that memory. It isn't about purging all memories of your ex from your mind. It's about dealing with those memories that are painful or those memories that are happy. And because they're happy, they also contain pain. My first therapist taught me the three A's. Acknowledge the memory, accept the memory and why it's painful, and follow it up with an action. Decide what to do with this memory, even if it's deciding to not worry about it right now. Because that's what I had to do initially when the pain was just too great to face the memory head on. And this worked great. And then my mindfulness teacher taught me to sit with the pain, with the painful memories, to accept them and just sit with them rather than distracting myself instantly. You know, I've done that my entire life. I've immediately shoved painful and awkward memories aside. When a middle-aged man is cringing about a kiss that he had 17 years ago, you realize that something needs to change. And learning about mindfulness was very helpful in that. Here's the bottom line. And as we get older, that bottom line gets bigger. We are going to have both happy and painful memories, both the physical and mental ones of our marriage, of our divorce, of healing after divorce, but we get to choose what we do with those memories. Just like Humphrey Bogart chose to focus on the positive, on Paris, we can choose to focus on the positive. I can choose to focus on Paris. Yes, the crapola is still there, but we get to choose how it affects us, how we deal with it, and when we deal with it, hopefully with help from a therapist. So to summarize... We have physical memories and mental memories that we have to deal with, that we get to deal with. <laughs> and there are both positive and negative ways that we can deal with those things. For the physical memories, we can destroy in the heat of the moment. We can store them until a calmer time, or we can turn those physical memories into a positive experience and donate them to people in need, like the Angel Gown program. For the mental memories... We can allow them to take over, to keep us mired in the muck of misery. Or we can rise above and choose how we react to them. When the memories are fresh and painful, they may mean using mental skills to view the memory positively and to put it aside until a later time when you have greater capacity to deal with it. Or it may mean letting that memory, that unpleasantness, sit with you, dealing with it and then choosing to focus on those aspects of the memory that are positive. When I saw that eclipse, my ex was only one out of 20 loved ones whom I was with. One of 20 people. I can focus on the other 19. I can look back at us in our tinfoil hats, with our signs and goofy eclipse glasses, I can look back and I can see my kids and my nieces and nephews screaming in wonder. I can be grateful that my parents were there to see it. And when I visited Paris, I was able to enjoy that beautiful city. I was able to see a revival of a beloved French musical and dream of a time when I can return to Paris after COVID by myself or with new friends and get to practice my French again. Now, next week, I'm not sure what our topic will be because I did skip a topic 
for this week that I was going to talk about. It was about social media, but I was having a difficult time sharing my experience of that without being too negative uh, and going into too much detail about my relationship. And so I'm still trying to figure that out. So uh, until I'm able to do that, I believe next time uh, we'll talk about either crafting a divorce narrative or something else, maybe dating. Yeah, that might be a good topic to get in during the Halloween season. It's kind of a scary one (laughs) post-divorce. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, The Divorce Tribe. Until next time.